Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together here in this room and all of us together online to worship you. We thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word in print may be written on our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to say welcome once again. It is always good to see your faces, even when it's half of them. And I want to say welcome to everyone who is joining us online as well, consistently worshiping with us, sometimes in your jammies. That's all right. Uh, We're just so grateful to be a family of faith together. For those of you I have not yet had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Becca. I'm one of the co-pastors here, and it is a delight and a privilege to be in ministry with each and every one of you. We say a lot around here uh, that our vision is that we are ending relational poverty. Uh, To say it in full, we say we are compelled by the love of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We end relational poverty by inviting everyone to transforming relationship with God through Jesus Christ and authentic relationships with one another. We really, really, truly believe, and we are seeing it happen, that lives are transformed by Jesus Christ. But we also understand that there are questions out there. You know, that we say, enter into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, there's people who kind of go, yeah, um, not sure I understand what that means. Not sure I fully, fully get how you do that, what, what the steps are, what a relationship with Jesus actually works. My guess is that there are some out there who don't really feel like you know. And so that's what we want to talk about. For these next several weeks, uh, we're going to explore seven different practices. They're sometimes called uh, spiritual disciplines that, that, that Christians through the centuries have engaged in, that, that for this, all over the centuries, we know that, that these are practices that have power to connect us to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to dig right into the very first one today. Today we're going to talk specifically about how we grow in our relationship with Jesus through reading, studying, and meditating on the Bible. And since we are talking about the Bible, I find it helpful to actually have one. And I didn't give you a heads up, so you might not have brought yours with you today. Uh, But I want to encourage you, if you did, you can pull it out. Uh, We took them out of the pews, unfortunately, so we're not, you know, sharing germs. But you can pull one out. You can also pull out your phone. This is a time in Scripture or in this service where you can use your phone, and it's okay. Nobody's going to know if you're scrolling Facebook. You can look holy like you're looking at the Bible app on your phone, no one will know. But it is, it's there. I use that Bible app on my phone all the time. If you don't have one later today, get on the app store, download the Bible app. It's actually really good. You can see all different kinds of translations, take notes, highlight, all that stuff. 
So if you have a physical Bible or a digital Bible with you, you can pull that out now. And if you prefer to use a physical one, hey, bring it next week. It's a good thing to do. So as you have your Bible in front of you, either physically or in your imagination, I want you to think with me about the question, what is the Bible? What is it? How would you answer that question? A lot of us, you know, right off the bat would say, well, quite simply, the Bible's a book, right? Even if it's in digital form, it, it's a book, right? And that is both true and not true. It's more complex than that. The Bible isn't actually a book. The Bible is a library of books. The Bible is comprised of 66 books, in fact, unique books split into two different parts. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the middle, the thing that holds the whole thing together, the thing that divides the two halves, the Old and the New Testament, is the story of the life of Jesus. Jesus stands at the center of all of it. Jesus is the one who holds this book, this library of books together. So, 66 books. And those 66 books are made up of all different genres. There are stories. There's poetry, there's love letters, there are letters to friends, there are prophetic visions, there's instructions, there's correction, there's a whole lot going on in this book. So, my very simple, not so simple, definition of what is the Bible. So the Bible is a library of 66 books made up of different genres written by at least 40 different authors, men and women from all different walks of life over the span of somewhere around 1,500 years that tells one cohesive story of the redeeming love of God. Do you get that? Some of you might be saying, can we just call it a book? Can we just stick with that? Is that all right? I'm going to say that again. The Bible is a library of 66 books made of different genres, written by at least 40 different authors, men and women from all different walks of life over the span of somewhere around 1,500 years. And here's what's amazing about it. It tells one cohesive story of the redeeming love of God. That's what the Bible is. And that's, that's not all it is. Scripture itself tells us kind of what the Bible is. That's what we heard Felicia read in that 2 Timothy passage. In his letter, Paul writes that, that all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. There's, there's, there's a couple things about what that means. One, it means that these words of Scripture were God-breathed in their composition. Now, it doesn't mean that they are God's words verbatim. It, God didn't write them. The, the Bible didn't fall out of the sky just as it is. But it does mean that they are, they are God-inspired, that they are God-breathed. The Holy Spirit worked through. The Holy Spirit spoke to the men and women, the 40 different of them, who wrote these passages. These are the words that God wanted us to have. These words are God-breathed in their composition. And second, these words are God-breathed in their reception. Just as the Holy Spirit inspired the people who wrote them, the Holy Spirit inspires us as we read them, and they become God's word to us now. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful. It's useful for our lives. It's useful to show us how to live, what to do, where to turn, what's right, what's wrong, how to live good and God-honoring lives. My, my guess is that, that most of us feel like we could use a little help in this area, right? Just quick show of hands or a little comment on the say hi form. Who, who feels like maybe sometimes you might feel like you could ha- use a little bit of help understanding what God wants you to do with your life? Anybody? All of us? I was going to say probably if, if you don't raise your hand, you're lying. All of us. Like if you're asking the question, what am I supposed to do with my life? All of us have that question at some time or another. And 2 Timothy says that the Bible does that. It teaches us, it corrects us, it trains us, and it it equips us to live the life that God wants us to live. So, what's the Bible? Well, it's the story of God's redeeming love, and it is useful for every area of our lives. So if that's what the Bible is, then I want to turn to talk and think about what the Bible does what it does in us, what it does for us, what it can do to us. And, and to look more closely at that, I want to read a little more carefully that, that passage from Psalm 97. And as you pull it up on your phone, starting at verse, or Psalm 119, excuse me, I'm sorry, Psalm 119, starting at verse 97. And if you can pull it up in front of you, I want to tell you a little bit about it as you uh, open up your Bible or pull it up on your app. Now, Psalms, a lot of the Psalms, and this one in particular, were written by King David in the Old Testament. Now, King David, if you don't know his story, he started out as a young shepherd nobody. He, he got pulled quite unintentionally into King Saul's army. He became a very successful warrior in that army, which then led to him being anointed as the next king of Israel, which King Saul was not particularly happy about. And so David had to spend a good portion of his early adult life on the run. He had to be fleeing for his life. Which I want to give you that context for you to understand that, that David was not a pastor. David wasn't a theologian. David was a guy. David was a dude. David was just a normal person like any one of us. And here is what David says about God's word, starting at verse 97. He says, oh, how I love your law. If you have your Bible in front of you or your app, you can circle or highlight that word love. How I love your law. In the Old Testament, when you see the word law, not always, but often that's referring to the the whole of the Bible. God's word. He says, I love your law. What he's saying there is, I love the Bible. I love God's word. Now, here's something that's interesting about that. King David, the Bible that David had was obviously not this whole book. Uh, A lot of this book hadn't happened yet. The book, the law that David had was actually just the first seven books of what we have in this Bible now. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That's all he had. And I wonder, as you think about that, have any of you, I've done this, I'll confess, have you ever ever made like a New Year's resolution, maybe even January, maybe started the the school year, you make that resolution to read the whole Bible. Has anyone ever made that resolution? How many of you have kept it? 
Some of you, it's good. Some of us, we make that resolution and we start reading and we start reading Genesis and it's like, oh yeah, I, I know those stories. I know those are good stories and that's kind of exciting. And we get through Exodus and it's got some good engaging stuff and we keep going and then you get to Leviticus and it's like all these weird laws and rituals and things and it's like kind of, it's easy to get a little distracted and well, we meant to, maybe next year. Maybe we'll read the whole thing next year, right? If you think about it, that's all David had. Not only is it tough to read, right, but if you've tried to read it, it's, it's also dated, right? It's like that's stuff that happened way back then. That's true for us, but that was also true for David. The words that he was reading when he was reading them, they were written 400 years before he lived. So here, all this has a point. <laughs> If you ever avoid or, or resist reading the Bible because it's kind of hard or confusing or feels dated or old, I want you to know that David was no different. That was his situation too, and yet here he is saying that he loves the Bible. And there's a reason why. He goes on, he says, How I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. David says the Bible is his meditation all day long, that it's ever with him, always on his mind, always in his heart. He's always thinking about these words. And because of that, because he's always contemplating these words of scripture, that makes him wiser than his enemies. Now, in David's world, he had some actual enemies. He had some people who were trying to literally kill him. In our world today, most of us don't have enemies like that. If you do, please come see me or Jonathan after the service so we can talk. We don't have enemies like that, but we do. Every single one of us have enemies of another kind. We all have enemies of the life that God created us to live. There's busyness, work, money. They can be enemies when you give them too much of yourself. There are relationships that can be enemies when they become not only unhelpful, but harmful, destructive. There are habits and addictions in your life that are literally an enemy to the, God, the life that God created you to live. But here's what David says. He says, when I love this book, when I fill my life with its words, I'm actually wiser than those things. I can outmove them, I can outthink them, I can anticipate them. Whatever enemy comes at me and tries to pull me away from the life that God created me for, this book is what gives me what I need to live. So moving on, verse 99. He says, I have more, en more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged. I want you to focus on that word understanding there. Underline it or highlight it if you want to. You know, understanding, we know this. Understanding, it's, it's, it's different than just knowledge. You know, understanding implies wisdom, discernment, deeper insight. Somebody who has great understanding can look at the things that, that really smart people know and see the deeper truths about them. See how, how they're connected. See how they, everything works together. People with great knowledge, they see all the dots, right? But somebody with great understanding can, 
connect those lines between the dots and see the picture that they create. So David says, I have so saturated myself with these words that I have more understanding, I have more insight than, than some, some people who've even lived a whole lot longer than me. I've got more understanding than even my teachers, than my elders. So David is saying, what he's saying is, is the Bible has the power to make you wise beyond your years. And how does it do that? Well, starting again at verse 100. It says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. The word I want you to focus on there is keep. It's there actually twice. And here's what David is saying. He says, we don't just read the words and, and think, oh, well, you know, that's, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting truth out there. No, he says, if we want understanding, if we want wisdom, if we want protection from our enemies, David says, that comes when we keep these words, when we take them in and, and actually apply them to our lives, when we obey them, when we put them into practice. Going on at verse 102, he says, I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. I love that. I want you to notice that word in there, you. You have taught me. See, if we want that understanding, that experience that David has, he's really emphasizing the same thing that 2 Timothy was. He says that his experience of Scripture is, is that it's God-breathed. He's saying that when we read this book, it's not just words on a page, but it's God himself speaking to him, teaching him, engaging in relationship with him through the pages of this book. So then finishing up at verse 105 which many of us heard and, and deeply love, have heard this before. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know this, of course. You know, David's world was one that's different from ours in a lot of ways, one of which that there were no electric lights, there were no street lamps. When the sun went down, it got very, very dark. And so you needed a lamp. You needed something, a light to guide your path. When it was dark at night, you needed something to guide your way to get you safely from one place to another. And so what David is saying here is, Scripture does that for me. As I think about my life, as I try to discern the steps I'm supposed to take, the direction that I should go, I, I read these words and they illuminate that path. They give me direction. They give me discernment. They give me safe passage in a world that can sometimes be very, very dark. So just taking those, those few verses from Psalm 119, you can see why David loved these words, these words that when he read them, when he took them in, they made him wiser than his enemies. They gave him greater understanding. They helped him see the world with greater insight. These words kept him on the right path and directed him the way to go. And you know, they can do the very same thing for us. And as we close, I want to tell you a few ways how. How the Bible can be just as powerful in your life as it was in David's life. And the first thing I want to encourage you with is this devotional. You may have seen it on the tables on your way in. You can grab one on your way out. You can take a paper copy if, if paper is the medium of choice for you. It's also on our website. Just scroll down on that 
homepage a little bit. If you find, see that logo, you'll be able to find it. It's in PDF form there. We want everyone who wants to have a copy of this to have one. This is going to go with us through this whole series. Every week it has three readings, three practices, three ways that you can take these ideas and put them into practice. And so week one is giving you some ways to engage in scripture study and meditation. I want to encourage you to do that with us. But specifically, when it comes to the practice of reading the Bible, I want to give you a simple list of some do's and don'ts that I think are pretty helpful when it comes to scripture. First are this, is don't assume it's going to be easy. Do remember that this is a spiritual discipline. And just like any discipline, whether it's training to run a marathon or, or dieting or making financial cutbacks in your life, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's really, really hard. And that's true with reading the Bible. So what helps most, I think, is just making that commitment. Telling yourself you're going to stick with it and then doing it no matter what. For me, that, that's just been, I just make a habit of every morning getting up early and having my cup of coffee and sitting down and reading a few pages of scripture, first thing. But I, I heard a, a cool thing just recently in a podcast I wanted to share with you, and I, I, I want to try it. It comes from Pastor Rick Warren. And he talked about a practice that he's engaged in personally, and he's encouraged other, other folks with ever since COVID started. You know, life got a little bit more stressful, a little bit more unclear the path wasn't easily discernible in this last year for a lot of us. And so he started engaging in this practice that he calls his word first word and his word last word. And here's what he does. Says he, the idea, obviously, is to have God's word, the Bible, to be the first word you read at the beginning of the day and the last word you read at the end of the day. So the way that, that he does that is he, he says, you know, get, get a translation of the Bible that you like. You know, we get that question sometimes, like, what's the best translation of the Bible out there? And there's lots of ways you can answer that question, but really, my answer is the one that you want to read. So get that one, and put that Bible on your nightstand and open it. Because an open Bible is a whole lot harder to ignore than a closed Bible. So put it on your nightstand, put it somewhere near your bed, leave it open. And open it to a book that you want to read, any book. It could be Psalms, Philippians is a great one, one of the Gospels, Proverbs, whatever. Pick one you want to read. And when you get up in the morning, before even you get out of bed, just sit on the side of your bed. Don't turn on the radio. Don't look at your phone. Don't, you know, start up the news. None of the bad news first, right? <laughs> start with the good news. And before you get out of bed, grab that Bible and just start reading. And you read until something speaks to you. How long does that take? Well, depends on how long it takes to get to something that speaks to you. It doesn't really matter. Just it could be one verse. You could have to read 15 verses before you get there. But just look for something that's going to feed your soul. And how do you know if it's speaking to you? Glad you asked. Oftentimes, a great thing to look for, one of two things, something that comforts you or something that challenges you. Read until you encounter something that comforts you or something that challenges you. And whatever that thing is, sit with it. Stop there. And so say it's the morning time. Say, okay, I read that. Hmm, that challenges me. I need to think about that. Or, oh, that comforts me. I'm going to take that with me today. And do that. You're done reading at that point. 
take that with you for the day. But take it, really take it with you. Try to keep thinking about it. Maybe see if you can memorize it. Carry that, that word with you through the day. Put your Bible back on your nightstand, leave it open, because when you go back to bed, wherever you left off, start reading again. And do the same thing. Read until something speaks to you. And go to bed thinking about it, whatever that word is. So that's his word, first word, his word, last word. Might be fun to try. Another do and don't. Don't read alone. Do invite others in. First and foremost, you're going to want to invite God into your reading. Remember, God wants to speak to you through these words, so be sure to invite him in. Begin any time of reading with prayer, simple prayer. Just ask the God who breathed life into the formation of these words oh so long ago to breathe that same life into your heart as you read. Pray for an open mind, for a, a teachable spirit, for a heart soft enough to receive the comfort or challenge that God wants you to have. Could be something just really, really simple. Say, God, speak to me. And then start reading. Invite God in. And second, invite other people in. You know, as you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, you'll notice that most of the, the words written here are not written to you singular, but you plural. The Bible is written to, to y'all. And so that means that many of the commands that we find in the Bible aren't meant to be lived out just by individuals, but by communities. And so as we read this book, we read not only under the direction of the Holy Spirit, but in the company of others. So if you're in a small group, you know, read this together. And, and, and you know, we, we kind of go through these different series of small groups. So if you're already in one, as a group, make a recommitment to say, let's, let's go through this series. Let's read through this stuff together. If you're not in a small group, we've got a really good solution for that. You get in one. Find some people that you can read these words together with. Don't think that it's up to you to find God. And this is kind of a general don't for spiritual disciplines, because the danger of spiritual disciplines is that sometimes we think that you know, we can just get kind of gung-ho about them, and we think that like it's all up to us to, to work really hard, to do everything right, to make ourselves into spiritual masters, and we are going to get ourselves to God. But that's never been true. We, we, we don't do anything to find God. And so my encouragement as you read scripture is that you do let Jesus find you. Talking about the Bible, Martin Luther once said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It takes a hold of me. You know, the Bible, we say it's the word of God in print which always acts in service of the word of God made flesh, that is, Jesus Christ. The Bible isn't an end in and of itself. The Bible points to Jesus. It tells us about Jesus. It brings us to Jesus. And through it, Jesus finds us. Jesus speaks to us. Jesus runs after us. Jesus takes a hold of us. To remember... This whole book is the story of God's redeeming love. 
And God's redeeming love culminates in Jesus. Jesus is the way that God expresses that love. Jesus is the method by which God completes this story. Jesus is the one this whole book points to. So you'll never really understand this book, this word of God in print, until you give yourself to the word of God in flesh, to Jesus Christ. So as Jonathan comes up to lead us in prayer, I just want to invite you to do that. As we pray, ask Jesus to open your heart to receive his love, to receive his forgiveness, to be filled with his goodness and grace. Ask that Jesus would come and find you.